Amen. Um, yeah, I hope you guys didn't mind that uh, we, we spent a little time in prayer. Uh, you know, and we, we don't do that every week, but, you know, when we do, you know, it's something to celebrate. You know, it's something that's good. And that's what the church does. You know, we got to pray for each other. Uh, help carry each other's burdens. Um, and if you're sitting there during that time and you don't know what to pray and you're just kind of stuck and you're sitting there, um, I, what, I, what I would re- really recommend to get your prayer life just transformed uh, is not to go to like 10 lectures on prayer or to read five books on prayer, although those things will help tremendously um, and give you a longevity in prayer life and discipline in prayer life. But what I really recommend, first of all, is you, you, you need to just come up here and get filled by the Spirit of God. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that live through their Christian life, and they're just missing out. You know, just like Del's, Pastor Dell said yesterday, some people see Acts chapter 2 as history, but we over here in New Philly, we choose to see it as prophecy. Yes. Now, Acts chapter 2 is not just something we read about, whoa, the church used to be real good back then. Uh, this is the way church is supposed to be done now. Hallelujah. You know, and some people, they wonder, you know, why can't I pray like those people up there? And you're wondering that. And I'm telling you, the answer is you just need to come up and get some of the Holy Spirit. You need to surrender your heart, <coughs> repent of any kind of sinful, selfish patterns, right? And just give Jesus your all. And then just expect the Holy Spirit to show up because he will. Hallelujah. Um, today, <coughs> I'm going to be preaching the sixth sermon on the Make War series. Somebody say Make War. And today's message is a continuation of the previous two messages on exposing witchcraft. Talked about witchcraft in the family. And right now we're talking about witchcraft in the church. Uh, now last message I preached on which spirit? Jezebel. The Jezebel spirit. Now today I'm going to talk about how a Witchcraft spirit, the controlling, rebellious, manipulative, dominating, intimidating spirit. How it targets the church through the Lucifer spirit. Okay, It's a form of witchcraft in the church. It's called the Lucifer spirit. Now, Jezebel spirit is predominant among women. Well, the Lucifer spirit is predominant among men. So everybody find the brother. Tell him, brother, you need to hear this. Say with some attitude. <laughs> Brothers, listen up. And really, really, really strong women. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm playing. It's a joke. It's a joke. All the women are strong. Hallelujah. Uh, now, we looked at Isaiah chapter 14 just now, uh, 12 to 15. And this passage talks about somebody who fell from heaven. And this person is referred to as the day star in the ESV, the sun of dawn. Or the NIV says, oh, morning star, the sun of the dawn. Or if you go to the King James Version, it just uses a transliteration and says, oh, Lucifer, son of the morning. Okay. The word Lucifer simply means shining one or the morning star. And scholars have understood this term to be talking about the king of Babylon in this passage. And most traditional scholars would just stay there with that interpretation. <clears throat> but brothers and sisters, we got to look at this passage deeper and by the Spirit of God. And is this passage talking only of Nebuchadnezzar or is it trying to teach us something higher? Is it pointing to something before and higher? Now, Isaiah 14 is not the only place where the term morning star is mentioned. If you look in Job chapter 38 verse 7, the term morning star refers to angels. Angels. And the first half, um, I mean, excuse me, uh, refers to angels. Where am I? And the first half of Isaiah 14, 12 refers to this morning star this angel as having fallen from heaven. Now, during the teaching ministry of Jesus, the only person that Jesus said fell out of heaven is who? Okay, Luke ten eighteen. 
Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Okay. And if that wasn't enough to convince you, in a prophetic vision in Revelation chapter 12, it gives us a glimpse of Satan getting kicked out of heaven. He just gets kicked out. God's like, that's, that's enough. You out. Boom. Satan gets kicked out of heaven. <coughs> Along with a third, one third of all the stars of heaven. It says in Revelation 12 verse 4. Now by stars here, are we talking about Tom Cruise and Angelina Jolie? No. Right? No, right? We is talking about angels here. So Satan, when he got kicked out of heaven, he took a third of the angels of heaven with him. That's what Revelation 12 is describing. So although there is some disagreement, historically, people have seen Isaiah 14 as just referring to King Nebuchadnezzar. But uh, there are others who have interpreted it to mean that Nebuchadnezzar is being described as a type of Satan. Now, it begins with... (coughs) The first part of the chapter begins with King of Babylon. And by verse 12, what it's doing is it's giving us a glimpse of Satan's original fall. Right? What was going on when Satan got kicked out of heaven? And remember in my message on the Jezebel spirit, I talked about how that something that is singular and local in the Old Testament is often corporate, boundless, and spiritual in the New Testament. Right? That the temple of God in the Old Testament was a local Physical place, but today in the New Testament, New Covenant, what do we have? The temple is what? Boundless. It's you and me. It's our bodies. Our bodies, our physical bodies are described as a living, a temple of the living God. Living temples or temples of living God or, or both. Hallelujah. We are the temples. And in that same way, Isaiah fourteen twelve, although it's referring to Satan, the passage is also giving us clues of the Lucifer spirit that attacks many churches today. Let me give you a scenario. There once was a thriving spirit-filled church in a big city. The head pastor had taken a small, tiny congregation of 20 to 1,000 in 10 years. The head pastor looked to hire a new assistant pastor to help lead and educate the church. So he found a bright young man named Ben who had grown up in the church's youth group. Pastor Ben was a good preacher. He's passionate, he's diligent, great with people. He's got this magnetic personality, and people just like him. Now, with Pastor Ben's help, the church continues to grow to 2,000 only a few years later. Now, with the increased growth, the head pastor looks to hire another guy, an executive pastor, to help with the growth of the church. Now, when Pastor Ben hears this, He's a little bit hurt that he's not considered for the executive pastor position. Eventually, a new executive pastor is hired. Let's just say his name is Marcus. Marcus was a handsome pastor with a powerful anointing. And Ben did not like Marcus. Okay. And had to constantly fight off feelings of envy. And to make matters worse, the half pastor travels so much so that he wasn't around the church as much most of the year. So Ben took the occasion to meet with a couple of friends that had just graduated from seminary. And they began to meet together for prayer meetings and discussing what it would be like to run, run their own church. Then one day, Ben suddenly announces to the head pastor that he's going to resign. He shares with the head pastor that God had told him to plant his own church across the town. The head pastor is heartbroken, tries to convince Ben to stay. But Ben seems confident in his choices. Reluctantly, the head pastor lets him go. One week later, the head pastor is shocked to see about a third of his congregation missing at Sunday service. They have followed Ben to the new church plant. 
Now, this is a common story in many fast-growing, dynamic, spirit-filled, charismatic, Pentecostal-type churches today. Very common story. It might be common also in, in the Presbyterian churches you grew up with, but much more so in churches that are dynamic and growing. And <clears throat> what I just mentioned to you was fictional. Okay? But let me share with you a true story. In 1995, a small southern town in Florida experienced a mighty outpouring and hosted what some say was the greatest Pentecostal revival in recent history. Two years before 95, there's this guy named Pastor John Kilpatrick. He began, much like we do here at New Philly, by calling on his congregation to turn the church into a house of prayer, to really go deeper in prayer. And then as they're doing this, they hear a prophecy from Pastor Yonggi Cho here at Yoido. And Pastor Yonggi Cho prophesied at that time that a revival would hit a seaside city of Florida called Pensacola. And that all of America would eventually be consumed by it. Then on Father's Day of 1995, <coughs> the Holy Spirit fell on Brownsville Assembly of God. The church in, near Pensacola. What happened was people from all over the world came and packed the sanctuary. I mean, you could not get a seat. It got so bad, they had services every single day. Okay? Every single day, the parking lots were full. Every single day, the lines were wrapped around the building. Okay? Talk about revival. I mean, this is one of the latest revivals that was truly sustained year after year. By 1998, half a million people had been ministered to at their altar calls with lots of signs, healings, impartations. People who had never experienced this stuff, they came and they experienced it here. Uh, they claimed that 128,000 people were saved by that time. Um, and they opened up a ministry school. <coughs> and uh, it looked like nothing was going to stop them. It just looked like they would just continue to go forward because it was such a mighty revival that was sustained there in Florida. Then it was revealed that the dean of the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry, the school that they started, the dean of that school was having strained relationship with the head pastor, Pastor Kilpatrick. And in 2000, Brown was dismissed as the dean after you know all these disagreements and stuff or what looked like just disagreements <coughs> and what happened was when brown was dismissed he immediately started his own school right in the same city now if you if you go back home tonight right and you do your research and if you read this guy michael brown he was a dean of the school if you read his letters and you read it, you read just his letters and that's it, you will be convinced that God called Michael Brown to, because he felt like the Assemblies of God denomination was trying to control the school and it was supposed to be a non-denominational school. So he felt like they were trying to control the school. So he wanted to have that freedom and he felt like there would be, the school would be more effective and grow more if it just had that freedom. And so when the Assemblies of God was just asking for just a few accountability issues, Michael Brown took the occasion and, and he said that he was pretty much kicked out and he was fired and that he was wronged and they did it in the middle of the school semester and that, uh, and anyway, make a long story short, he took like 80% of the faculty with him and took pretty much the entire school student body along with him as well. And he started what is called the FIRE, F-I-R-E School of Ministry and it continues to, to, to this day. And actually when I was a college student, in 2001, I went to uh, the call in Boston, and I saw the stage full of all these young people from the fire school ministry, and they were praying out on the mic, and I couldn't hear what they were saying because they were like, "Lord, bring revival, Lord, send revival." That's that's how they led prayer the whole three hours, and uh, and I was not into all that, all the charismatic stuff at that time. So, and uh, anyway, um, it still continues to this day. Uh, the split caused much hurt and disillusionment, obviously. Uh, the enrollment at the original school 
Brownsville dropped from 1,200 to 120. And the evangelist whose preaching set off the revival, Steve Hill, okay, he left suddenly, resigned after going five years straight preaching almost every day. And you think it, it, burnout was the issue. It wasn't. He went five years straight without being burnt out. But right when this thing happened, he resigned. Um, Lyndall Cooley, the worship leader, he also said he needed to take a Sabbath. And then in 2003, the head pastor, John Kilpatrick, also stepped down from being the head pastor. <coughs> now, I hope I got that last fact straight. I, I'm pretty sure. Now, what happened? What happened here? Did all these guys, were they, were they just in need of a break? What happened to Brownsville Assembly? What happened to the Pensacola Revival and Outpouring that has touched just thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of people all across the world. What happened here? Okay. Many of pastors that you may remember, they probably visited this thing. This happened all in the mid-90s, late-90s. What happened? Did these guys just need a break? I don't think so. Okay, Because all three of these ministers, they went on to become pastors of their own church soon thereafter. I'm just thinking that they were just hurt, disillusioned by the whole fiasco. And they just wanted to get a fresh start. They didn't want to continue what was going on at Brownsville. In May of this year, all four leaders finally had a reunion. It was publicized and they worshipped together. And they claimed that they were reconciled. Now, although we rejoice at the full reconciliation now, check this out. The damage has already been done. Let me just give you a picture of the damage that has been done in Brownsville. A church leader at Brownsville said this. People have been leaving for three or four years. Some are not even in church at all, including some who are used to be on staff. I don't know anyone who has not been hurt. What happened at Brownsville? You might think I'm judging, right? And, you know, you can, you can judge me, but, uh, you know, I did my research and uh, I read the documents. Uh, there's a lot of documents you got to read through to kind of find out what really happened. And, uh, yeah, I, I have my opinion. I'm going to keep those opinions to myself. You go research it yourself. Okay. And that dude, Michael Brown, he graduated from NYU, you know, you know graduated from my alma mater. Yeah, it's all great, but, you know, if he... If he Anyway, I, I, I don't want to go into my personal opinion. Now, I'm not sure what to make of it. Let's just say that. But let me tell you, <coughs> it was not God's perfect will for that church to fall apart like that. That was one of the greatest outpourings that we have seen in recent history that was sustained. God did not order up some relational strength to scatter these four ministers to four different states. Okay. And I hope that my message today may shed some light on all the different church splits that we see today. Especially in the charismatic movement. New Philadelphia. Where the Jezebel spirit is a message for today, the Lucifer spirit is a message that we must be mindful of for tomorrow. As I read Rick Godwin's book, Exposing Witchcraft in Church, I came across a line that shook me to the core. <coughs> Listen up to this. Have you ever thought about this? The initiator of the first church split was Lucifer. He convinced a multitude of guys loyal to the head pastor to join him. He moved across town and he started a new church. In Revelations 12, verse 3 to 4, the Bible tells us that when he was thrown out of heaven, he took one third of the angels with him. The whole time that I looked at church splits, I always thought that church splits were caused by money, right? personality clashes, and loyalty. I'm here to give you a message. 
Okay? That is not why many church splits are happening today. Okay? Think about all the church splits you know. Okay? Think about it. Think about how they happened, what really took place. If you really think about it, they don't just happen. They're premeditated. People plan out these things. People devise purposes, plans. They get together divisions and dis- and factions and groups. And they have prayer meetings, fasting chains. They don't just happen. They're premeditated. And I'll tell you right now, it's not the Spirit of God that's behind many of these church splits. If at all. There are three words to help us identify a witchcraft spirit. What are those three words? <coughs> Let's do it in order. Do it in order. Manipulation, domination, and intimidation. Three words. If you see those patterns in the church or in your family, okay, that is not the spirit of God. God does not manipulate. He does not dominate. He does not intimidate. He does not use fear to get you to do His will if you notice something. If ever it seems like God's saying that, that's not the voice of God. It's just not His character. Okay. God doesn't do those things. That's the that's witchcraft spirit. That's the spirit of witchcraft. Now, there are three words that also help us to identify the Lucifer spirit in operation. And they all begin with the letter P. <coughs> they are... Proximity, pride, and perceived injury. Proximity, pride, and perceived injury. Now, if we can find out what went wrong with Lucifer, it can help us too. Okay. Now, the Lucifer spirit, let me tell you right now, it most commonly attacks people that are in a support position of ministry. Intern pastors. Don't do me like that. <laughs> Worship leaders. <coughs> Whatever you do, do it quickly, brother. Okay. <coughs> Small group leaders, Sunday Bible teachers, elders, deacons, etc. Lucifer spirit targets the support forms of leadership. It is a divisive, splitting, rebellious spirit. Basically, its strength lies in illegitimate authority. And as we talked about already, the exercise of illegitimate authority is witchcraft. Lucifer, at one point, was perfect. He was well-groomed, well-liked, wise, gifted, and he was free to roam about. And God gave him a lot of authority. He was heaven's associate pastor. If you look in Ezekiel 28, it also gives us a glimpse of Lucifer's beginnings. Lucifer used to be a guardian cherub. Cherub is a type of angel. Uh, cherubs were the guardians uh, of the presence of God. And they hovered over the Trinity, worshiping and serving them. If you look on the Ark of the Covenant, the way that it is designed, it is a physical design pointing to a spiritual reality. There are supposed to be these cherubs on top of the, the Ark and stuff, right? Hallelujah. Lucifer was, in other words, Lucifer was given proximity. He would go in and out of the presence of God at his will. In fact, after his fall, Revelation 12.10 says that Satan still enters the presence of God in and out at will, accusing believers before the Father, the accuser of the brethren. Because he was in and out of the presence of God, he most definitely communicated with the other angels, as well as with the Trinity. Perhaps some of the angels began to say, Oh, Lucifer, you're, you're so talented. Man, that song you wrote last week, man, is one awesome song. I, I love the bridge part too. You're so wise. <laughs> and as long as Lucifer could remember, he gave all the glory to God. But having proximity to God, you see, is a privilege that must be handled with humility. The closer you get to God, 
the more humility you better have. But what happened was Satan, at some point, things shifted. Lucifer's heart began to change, and he progressed from proximity to the second P, pride. As Lucifer was entrusted with more and more, he began to take himself a little too seriously. His close proximity to God opened up his heart toward pride. And you know what? This is common within the church. This is so common. <coughs> Sometimes staff, deacons, house church leaders, Sunday school teachers, they can forget that they are stewards and not owners of the ministry to which God has called them. I mean, yeah, it's good to have ownership, but it's different to have ownership and to think of yourself as the owner of that ministry. Now, let me ask you a question. If God reveals a call and a vision to someone and that person launches into ministry, you know, God's going to bring men and women to labor alongside that leader. But let me ask you, whose ministry is it? Okay. The obvious answer is to say God's. It's God's ministry. But brothers and sisters, what we must understand is that God always designates a leader to be the head. Someone to be the head of that ministry. The ministry does not belong to that person, but God ordains one person to be the leader. Look, God does not work in a democratic fashion, although there are values to the democratic system. His kingdom is not a democracy, right? He is called the king. It is a theocracy. It is a monarchy coming down from the king of kings to whoever he appoints. Regardless of their family background, their ethnicity, their gender, whoever God appoints, that's whom God appoints. And you got to deal with it. I don't care if that person is tall or short, bald or whatever. Now, even in families, God shows us his order. There's a head in the family. And men of God, who is the head of the family? Maybe I, I worded that question a little weird. right? The man is the head of the household as Christ is head of the church. That's what the Bible says. In this way, every local church also has a head. And that's the lead pastor. Whoever God has appointed there as the lead pastor. Now, people with the Lucifer spirit, they lose sight of the fact that they are stewards. And they they suddenly start to think that they're in charge. Look, wrestling away control of any kind from God's appointed leader is not ever justified. If you fight for control... With the person that God has put in, in charge, okay, that is never justified. Okay? The one in charge may be perceived as slow, traditional, unapproachable, out of touch. Perhaps that <coughs> you've uh, seen all these weaknesses in that person. But look, that does not justify a rebellious, seditious response on your part to try to take control. The only exception will be where a leader has fallen into serious sins such as adultery or into heresy. Now, the leader has given the staff their jobs, salaries, training. Sometimes the ones that are receiving these privileges may develop a disease called the I will. Such a person may say, I will ascend to that position. I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will make myself like the most high. It's all from Isaiah, right? from the passage that we looked at in chapter 14. The I wills. He or she starts to think that what belongs to another now belongs to him. Now, a person with untamed selfish ambition is a person that is very vulnerable to a Lucifer spirit. Now, let me say something about ambition. Ambition is not a bad thing. Ambition is, ambition is just simply a strong desire to achieve something. Okay? We need ambition in our lives. Some of y'all need ambition in here. Y'all, <coughs> hallelujah, bless y'all. It's a good quality to be had in an effective leader. 
Now, selfish ambition, however, utilizes the flesh and whatever means necessary to achieve the purposes of self-promotion, success, or power. The word ambition comes from the French word ambile. I don't know French, all right? Ambile. I'm going to say it like an American. It just means to go around canvassing for votes, trying to get votes from people. A person with selfish ambition is usually driven around to go around and win the hearts of the people for the purpose of their own promotion and status. Now, Galatians 5.20, right along with idolatry and witchcraft, lists selfish ambition as an act of the flesh. If that wasn't enough, Philippians 2.3 tells us, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Turn to your neighbor tell him that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. <laughs> nothing. James 3 verse 14 says, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Selfish ambition is the breeding ground. It's a breeding ground for Lucifer spirits and witchcraft spirits. And you know, you got to be careful. Ambition can easily degenerate into selfish ambition. And this is the trap that Lucifer wants us to fall into. <coughs> Lucifer's ambition to serve changed into an ambition t- for position and power. Okay? And at one point, Lucifer probably went around, okay, this is just speculation, but I'm just speculating how he got one-third of the angels. Was he like, hey, you, come, you, 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 come. Come with me. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't happen overnight. It was premeditated. Remember, Probably went around talking to the other angels, trying to get their votes. Saying, you know, if I was in charge, I'd do things a little different. I would sing more songs. (laughs) These angels probably had a few prayer meetings, Bible studies, maybe even started up a fasting chain. When they were around God, they appeared submissive. But when he wasn't around, church was over, they plotted away. Ezekiel 28 gives us a glimpse into the background of Lucifer, right? (coughs) It says in verse 13, it says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Here you get a picture of Satan. He's in Eden. He's in Eden. And we're thinking this is probably the same Eden that's mentioned in Genesis. He's in Eden. And he's decorated and he just has this proximity with God. We begin with proximity Then we go to pride, and now we move to perceived injury. You see, at some point between the creation of the Garden of Eden and to the fall of Adam and Eve in that garden, right? Somewhere in between, Lucifer was cast out of heaven. Because you got, Ezekiel 28 is talking about Satan. Then it's saying that Satan was at one point in Eden. But he wasn't a bad dude. He was just in Eden. This is all speculation. We don't have enough Bible verses to back this up, right? But just imagine with me, right? This is logical speculation. Okay, I'm not going to start okay, a new denomination based on this. All right? So don't worry, all right? But just think logically what might have happened. If this is true, if he was in Eden and he hadn't fallen yet, that means that he fell sometime, he got thrown out of heaven sometime between the Garden of Eden to the fall of Adam and Eve. And John Piper is going to need to check me on this because I haven't done enough research to, to, uh, to say that this is, uh, you know, I, I don't think we have enough Bible verses to say this. But, but I'm just thinking perhaps Satan, in, maybe he was in charge of the garden. Maybe he was excited as the earth was getting created. 
Maybe God didn't tell him what it was all about. And Satan, he's, he's right hand man. He's going to be like, oh man, all these mountains and rivers and all these plants and animals. I can't wait. This is awesome. And then he hears that man, that God's going to create man <coughs> in God's image. And he starts to think to himself, why is God doing this? Why is God doing this? I thought earth was our new playground. After all that I've done for God, how is he going to put this new dude, Adam, in charge? I can do a better job of ruling the earth than this guy. Now that he's got Adam and Eve, I guess God just doesn't love me anymore. Now, wait a minute. None of these thoughts are true. He's merely perceiving it. This information didn't come from the Lord. It came from his imagination. And this is what we mean by perceived injury. Okay. Do not think that this scenario is silly. Okay. Think about how often we perceive injury in our relationships. Think about it. Like, <coughs> you know, you're five years old and your parents decided to have another child. And obviously, the demands of a newborn baby means the parents are going to spend a lot of time with the newborn baby. And five o'clock was daddy time. You always have daddy time at five o'clock. But now the newborn comes in. And daddy's not around. <laughs> now, at five years old, it might be hard for a little child to understand, oh, well, you know, it's because of the newborn baby. And, you know, once the newborn baby gets a little older, I have daddy time again. No, the, the, the baby, the five-year-old is going to be like, this baby is the devil. And my parents don't love me anymore. Right? That baby is going to start to perceive injury. <laughs> but this doesn't just happen to five-year-olds. This happens, you know, it happens in your families as you grow older. It happens in your high schools. I remember up in high school, man, there was an art to say what's up. So how you said hello, how you greeted each other in high school, there was an art to it. Because if you said what's up to the wrong people, you weren't cool no more. <laughs> but you didn't like diss them on purpose. You just like, you just do this eye thing. You just like, you see them coming and you just be like that. You know, you just avoid that eye contact, right? And then when you see your cool friends or friends that you think are cooler and higher up, you make sure you say what's up. Hey man, I, yo, what's up man? What up? What up brother? Yeah, what up, Sean? Yeah, what up, Christian? Or we just go like this. <laughs> and if somebody that wasn't cool said, what up to you? You know, you, 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 I know you ain't talking to me. Right? Because you want to you wanna, you wanna be cool, right? It's high school, come on. This is just America. This is just America. I think it happens in Korea too, don't it? <coughs> I don't know. I don't know about Korea, but it happens in America. And what would happen is sometimes... The friends that I thought were my friends, I would clearly make eye contact. And I'll just be like. (laughs) Give them that head nod. And then I could have sworn they made eye contact, but they just looked the other way. (laughs) Right. When that that happens, what do I do? I go to lunch. I sit down with the friends before that friend comes, and I just start saying, "Man, you know what? That homeboy, a chump. Like, he, we played football with him last week. Can't even, he can't even catch a football. <laughs> you know, you know what I heard about him? I heard he's you know doing this. I heard he's doing that, right? And the, and what really happened was, let's say Sean had an itch in his leg." Right at the same time as you thought you were making eye contact, he actually didn't make eye contact. He was looking at a pretty girl right behind you. And he was looking that way. And then all of a sudden he had an itch. And... <laughs> Sean's like, hey man, you're my man, you're my boy. But all of a sudden, you're angry with him. 
over something that really didn't happen. What happened? Perceived injury. Look, it happens all the time in our in, in our relationship. I'll tell you right now, when you get married, it doesn't go away either. All right. <coughs> Because we get real intimate in the marriage, but man, even in marriage, man, I'll be, I'll be perceiving injury. Um, but yeah. <clears throat> or like, you know, on Sundays, you know, y'all, y'all, you know, you know, hey, Pastor Christian, you know, and, and I'm like busy, like I'm praying with somebody, you know, the Holy Spirit's flowing or I, man, I can't multitask. Can I just say that? I can't multitask. So if I'm in the middle of something, you got to say, excuse me. I'm, I'm very American that way. I grew up in a black neighborhood. Okay, if you ever interrupt their conversation, okay, I mean, black women are not happy. Okay, they will tell it to your face. If you, if you, if they're having a conversation with somebody and you walk between them, oh, they're going to let you have it. They go, oh, no, no, no. You need to step back, young man. Step back here. Step back through this little lane you just went through. Okay, I'm having conversation A to B here. I don't know. You got the nerve, boy. You know, like they let you have it. And after a couple of traumatic incidents like that, you learn how to say, excuse me. <coughs> and so, you know, if I'm talking to somebody and you, you're like, hey, Pastor Christian, hey, hey, meet my mama. Hey, meet my mama. What? Pastor Christian don't love me. Doesn't care about my mama. He just straight up dissed me, right? And, and I, I just needed you to say, excuse me. I needed you to just get my attention, you know? But it happens with pastors, right? Yeah, it probably happened to many of you in here many times. Because <laughs> I'm not good with greetings. I'm getting better, hallelujah. But, uh, <laughs> look, look, dude, if I don't greet you, man, just, just, just take a chill pill and just try again, all right? I love y'all. I love y'all. But yeah, the perceived injury happens all the time. Before we get our facts straight, we begin to deal with perceptions. Based on our feelings and reactions, not on facts, but on assumption. Very dangerous in relationships. As easily as this happens in relationships, this can easily happen in the church. (coughs) And it's much more devastating when it's between your most influential leaders and your lead pastor. That's when it's most devastating. person gets involved at church. He serves faithfully, sacrifices so much that he's given proximity to the lead pastor. After some time, a healthy sense of ownership turns into selfish ambition and pride. And as a person feeds on people's praises, that person's pride continues to get puffed up. And then when things don't go his way, the person gets easily hurt. When the lead pastor doesn't give him what he hopes for, he gets easily hurt. And out of this hurt, the person picks up and goes somewhere else where They can control their destiny, where they can be in charge. Okay, This occurs every day in churches around the world. Sometimes persons with the Lucifer spirit will leave the church and they'll take other members with them. Others will remain within the church and then operate like a cancer from within. (coughs) This kind of dynamic, you you can easily see it in families as I mentioned earlier but it happens all the time in church and whenever responsibilities change whenever churches grow the people affected they tend to jostle around to find and fit into a new role the new position may not be as satisfying as the previous one perhaps that you were the i don't know the 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 worship leader and you're on stage every week and then someone that's more gifted and talented comes, and that person is appointed as the new worship leader. And you actually have to take behind the scenes. Some people don't take that very well. But it happens, brothers and sisters. And it happens by the will of God. Sometimes what may look like a step back is actually, your, it's not a... Setback is a setup for God to launch you into greater positions of influence. But many people don't see that. When Joseph was a butler in Potiphar's house, you know, he could have taken it in you know, one of two ways. God's promise for me has died. All those dreams that I have are dead. Or he could have seen it through the lens of faith and said, man, God's preparing me through this thing. I might be behind the scenes. I might not have a position or title, but check this out. 
God doing something in me. And that's why, you know, servanthood is so important in the body of Christ. Leadership begins with servanthood. Amen? Amen. You know, a leader with a servant's heart will always do what is best for the congregation, not necessarily what is best for him. If it means the leader must work behind the scenes, so be it. The Apostle Paul wrote about the importance of giving abundant honor to those members of the body which we think are less honorable. Everyone thinks that visible leadership positions, prayer team leader, worship leader, preacher, they're the most important. But let me ask you a question right now. There's a wonderful analogy that Rick Godwin used. Is it easier for you to go through life without a hand or without a heart? A hand is very visible. It's one of the most important parts of the body. But although tremendously useful, we can live without it. But no one can live without a heart. You see, in God's eyes, every person's role is precious and full of honor. They may not get that honor while on earth, but they will get that honor. And whether your role is visible or whether it's behind the scenes, we need to serve and grow where you are appointed and then let God promote you. Key verse that we should all memorize. I want everyone to write this down. This is something that everyone should memorize. It's 1 Peter 5, 6. Wonderful in the NIV. 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You know, when God blesses a church and it begins to grow, it is going to change. It will not remain the same. New roles and relationships form, doing away with all the old. You may be asked to stop leading praise and start mopping the floor. Hallelujah. That's a servant's heart right there. (coughs) You may be asked to step back while someone new steps up. If that happens, look, don't take it personally. It's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. It don't make sense for you to get jealous. Look, leadership in the kingdom begins with servanthood, remember? And check it out. Wherever there is pride in position, perceived injury is not far behind. Excuse me. When there is pride in leadership positions that you get, Perceived injury is going to be crouching right at the door. You know, some key leaders assume that the church will fall apart if they leave. You know? But if that's you, (coughs) we love you. But please, take some advice from a Beyonce song. Don't you ever for a second get to thinking that you're irreplaceable. Look, if you think the church is going to fall apart when you leave, go ahead, try it. Go ahead, try it. Be my guest. You're going you're to find that's not the case. You might be important, but look, that's the wrong attitude to have. Ministers who are listening to this sermon, listen up. You may be gifted, you may be a gifted associate pastor working under someone, and maybe you can preach better. Maybe you got a more dynamic personality. Maybe you give more prophetic words. Maybe you have better administrative skills. (coughs) Or you have more diverse experiences than your head pastor. Perhaps you know how to move in the gifts of the Spirit, and your head pastor has no clue. Well, if that is you, good for you. Go eat a cookie. I'm for real. Good for you. So what? Check it out. I don't care if you got all them talents and giftings. You got the anointing. You move in supernatural signs and wonders. You can get prophetic words. I don't care if you got all that. It's still not your vineyard. That church 
those sheep were entrusted to the lead pastor's care. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. They come in, they don't come in through the gate, which is Jesus. They come in through another way. You have no right, ministers of God, to split up a local church. No matter how gifted you are. No matter what prophetic word you think you got from God. got no right. You have no right to leave and take a part of that church with yourself. No right. If you undermine the authority of the person God has put in place, you are operating in the spirit of Lucifer. This is exactly what Lucifer has done from the beginning of time. And this is what he's good at. And when he can't get you through religious spirits, when he can't get you through critical spirits, when he can't stop you through Jezebel spirits, guess what? He's going to let you go climb that ladder. He's going to let you get up there. And then he's going to get you with the Lucifer spirit. He's going to get you with what got him. Very subtle. Very sneaky. Very difficult to detect. And this is a message from the, for the top. For the top level leaders. And I, I love John Michael. I love John Michael, man. I love my brother. But if John Michael ever try to pull a stunt like this, I will be firm with him. I will deal with him firmly. And if he does not respond, guess what? Church discipline, he's out. Don't think John Michael, he's immune to that. God bless you, John Michael. (laughs) (coughs) Stay humble, brother. In the kingdom, there's only one path to promotion, right? This path is paved with submission, servanthood, and humility. This path is paved with submission, servanthood, and humility. When you refuse to walk on this path, and you begin to promote yourself, your authority comes from you, not from God. By listening to the voices and praises of man, it's easy to get puffed up. You eventually start believing what people say. You're such a gifted leader. This church is so slow. If you started a church, I'll be on that. If you do start your own church, watch out. God didn't initiate that. You did. And you won't keep it either. In fact, you'll probably lose it the same way you stole it from somebody else. Brothers and sisters, and everyone listening to this message, follow only the person that God has promoted and who has the full blessing of those in spiritual authority. You follow those leaders. You don't go f- find a church that's fresh and it's, a, it's a, the newest thing. You don't, you don't, you don't go there And think, oh, this must be the will of God. If you see a pattern like that, beware, be careful. Does this mean that God's grace doesn't show up and bless things? No, I don't think that's not true. This guy, Michael Brown, he's continuing his school ministry and it's blessing a lot of people. It's blessing a lot of people. But guess what? I don't think he would ever realize what really happened. Because if you really read the letters that were posted from the Assemblies of God, from John Kilpatrick... And this guy, Michael Brown, who started the new school, the fire school. If you read their letters, okay, it is so clear who is operating by the Spirit of God and out of wisdom and love. Because over here, Michael Brown is complaining and writing out and saying, I'm hurt. They fired me. They done me wrong. This is unjust. They, they fired me in the middle of the school semester. There's all this perceived injury on his part. And if you read what the leaders wrote, they write, uh, we feel like God wants us to proceed with honor, character, love. We don't feel like we need to proceed any further. We don't need to air out all the details. Uh, we don't agree. We don't endorse what Michael Brown has done, but uh, God bless him. You know, and, and it's just so clear. When we get to heaven, man, you will find out exactly what happened. You know, Michael Brown may have a 
powerful ministry. You may have a wonderful school and the wonderful fruit may come out of that. Wonderful leaders may come out of that. Does not mean it justifies the means. And we'll get to heaven, we'll find out. Doesn't mean that, you know, you know, Michael Brown's gonna be, you know, this terrible demonic guy. You know, you're Lucifer, what are you doing in heaven? You know, no. God's grace abounds. That's why even when things like this happen, you will see, you know, you know, it's not for you to look at a church that started in this way and then say, that's a Lucifer spirit. You know what? Lord God, I hope that church just comes down to the ground. I hope it falls apart. Okay, well, that is not the way God wants us to live either. You want to keep the blessing of God flowing to your life? You bless those who persecute you. You bless and curse. You, you bless and pray for those. <laughs> Love your enemies. Pray for them. <coughs> bless and do not curse. Hallelujah. Psalm 75 says, Promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west or from the south. For God is the judge. He putteth down one, and he setteth up another. You know, if you want to read about a man who was promoted by God, read the stories of Joseph and David. Wonderful men of servanthood, submission, and humility. You want to read about a man who promoted himself with the Lucifer spirit? Go home and look up Second Samuel and read about Epsilon, the son of David. Epsilon went from proximity to pride to perceived injury, eventually he went around with a selfish ambition, canvassing for votes, and he got the whole kingdom and led an insurrection against King David. If you read about it, the end of Epsilon, let me just ruin the ending for you. It's brutal and sudden. He dies brutally and suddenly. This is often the case with people who display a Lucifer spirit. They don't repent. They go in that same path. It's the way it ends. Look, in my last sermon and in this one, two of the ways in which witchcraft attacks the church is through a Jezebel and a Lucifer spirit. <clears throat> I know my message has gone long, but look, we got. let's talk about making war, right? It's about making war. Let me end with at least making war. Y'all ready to make war on this stuff? Amen. <clears throat> if you see these situations, before you take a single step, it is important, number one, that you be prayed up. Don't go around thinking you got all the facts straight. You can go in there and, and do your thing. Okay? You're dealing with spirits. This means we've got to spend time in his presence. If you don't have the boldness, wisdom, and discernment, all the confrontations are going to blow up in your face. Before we deal with someone in the flesh, we got to take the fight to the heavenlies. Amen? Amen. So you got you to battle there first. Once you won it there, then you can go and talk to them in the natural. And you'll see results. Amen? Amen. <coughs> Intercede for the person whom you believe is influenced by the Jezebel or Lucifer spirit. And if you're in a position to deliver that person, be sure that you're actually dealing with a demon spirit. Don't say things like, I bind this Jezebel spirit. What did you say? Nothing. Did you just call me Jezebel? Look, those careless comments can hurt somebody. You can get yourself hurt. We got to be careful. Be prayed up. Okay? Because the fallout from a careless confrontation can end up hurting and affecting people who aren't even directly involved. As you saw with the Brownsville Assembly. Uh, Number two, aim for restoration, not removal. You know, are you over there just sharpening your sword? Are you coming at him with the heart of the father? You know, the easy thing to do in situations that get out of hand is to do everything possible to drive that person out of church. But have you ever thought, like, are are we so blessed that God doesn't do that with us? When we go the wrong way? God do, don't do everything to make sure that he drives us out of his presence? No. Right? And you've got to ask yourself, am I seeking restoration or removal? Okay. It takes a bigger person to forgive and restore than it does to remove and abandon. So seek the heart of Jesus. Number three, take the steps to biblical confrontation. 
You can find them in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. If you don't know that, you should memorize and you should learn that passage. They are wonderful steps to biblical confrontation. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. You talk to the person alone. Then you take a friend or two. And if the person is unrepentant, then you tell it to the leaders of the church. Now, if you are the lead pastor, this is the time to act decisively. If there's no repentance, you've got to ease that person out of leadership. Uh, he or she may be your worship leader, maybe your deacon or even a pastor, but if it, it is in your best interest to deal with this swiftly instead of waiting until it spreads to the entire church. And when you deal with potentially explosive situations, it is imperative to speak out of courage and not out of fear. Remember, the witchcraft spirit uses intimidation. Don't think that when you confront them, that spirit's not going to show up. It's very important that you speak out of courage, not out of fear. That's if you are in that position of leadership. All right? Uh, Ahab did not confront Jezebel in this way. And you know what? Even Elijah had a difficult time. He, he, he acted out of fear, not out of courage. Even when he dealt with Jezebel. There's one man in the Bible. <coughs> and I'm not saying he's perfect and righteous and everyone should look up to him. But man, we got to do it like this dude did it. His name is Jehu. Okay, if you read 2 Kings chapter 9, it talks about Jehu, this prophet anointed by Elijah. He refused to be intimidated by Jezebel. Jehu not only stood up to Jezebel, but he went after her. Oh man, that's, a, that's some good stuff you read that. It's crazy. Homeboy is filled with the zeal of the Lord. Gangster. Um, now, after hearing these last three sermons, you may actually be able to identify these characteristics in yourself. Right? Manipulation, domination, intimidation, proximity, pride, feeling envy when a new leader steps up. If this is so, you need to make war on that thing. Deal with it while it is in seed form. Root out those patterns from your life. If you're resorting to manipulation, domination, and intimidation to control people and to control relationships, to control your team members, if you're resorting to those, you need to root that out of your life. Get those patterns out. Learn how God does things. Learn about servanthood, submission, love. Humility. If you've offended someone, go be reconciled to that person. If you've rebelled against your leadership in these subtle ways, confess to your leaders your sin so that you may be healed. And most importantly, learn to walk in humility, servanthood, and submission. It's the only path to promotion and honor in the kingdom. If you think about it, even the Son of God, Jesus Christ, his path to greatness and promotion, he did not take it by force. He walked the hill of Calvary. That was the hill of servanthood, submission, and humility. And our Savior took that path. What makes you think that you can get to promotion and greatness in the kingdom of God by doing your own way? We got to follow the paths of Jesus. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. Jezebel was dashed to the ground and eaten by dogs. Absalom was stabbed to death while stuck in a tree. Lucifer will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. These are the destinies of all who rise up against the authority of God and against the leaderships to whom this authority is given. And for all those who do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me just tell you, if you're not a Christian in here, you are living in rebellion and witchcraft. And if you do not turn from your selfish ways, you will see and share in the same faith, fate as Jezebel and Lucifer. And there's people in here that are Christians, but you're not living in submission to God's word or in submission to spiritual authority. 
You want to live your Christian life in your own way, in my own terms. I don't want a small group leader telling me how I should live my life. I don't want a small group leader telling me how I should walk my Christian faith. And there's just no submission on your end. You have no covering. If that's you, you're also living in rebellion. You might not call it rebellion, but it's clear to God. I don't know how you got there. Perhaps you got burned, hurt, disillusioned by the church. I don't know how you got there, but let me tell you right now. That's not how all churches are like. Let me just give you some hope. That's not how all churches are like. Churches where the Lucifer spirit reigns, Jezebel spirits reign, these are churches that are going to control you, manipulate you, oppress you. You're probably not going to want to go to church. But I'm telling you, that's not how all churches are like. Don't go to a church where Lucifer reigns. Go find a church where Jesus reigns. And there's freedom. There's love. There's patience. There's grace. When Jesus reigns, things are pretty amazing. Amen? Amen. (coughs) Let me just pray for us right now. Lord God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I pray that as your word has been spoken forth in this room today, uh, would you renew the minds of every person in here, Lord? Renew our minds so that we will begin to make war on all these negative patterns of control and witchcraft that tends to come and leak into our lives. Lord, we do not want to follow in the patterns of the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We don't want to follow in the patterns of Jezebel and any kind of witchcraft spirit, Lord. We want to follow in the paths of submission, surrender, humility, servanthood, the paths that Jesus walked on. Teach us, Lord. To love one another with the abundant grace and unconditional agape love that you've shown to us. Teach us to lead others with that same love and grace. Teach us to be subordinate and to submit to our leaders with that same love and grace. But teach us, Lord, to walk in your ways. So that, Lord, that as we go forward, there will be no attack of witchcraft that will be able to derail or slow down the revival of God at New Philadelphia. We declare that. We receive that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.